Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Daniel, Janine, we are back with the Eater Upsell. I got it. Yeah, I'm, we got a good slate of stories here. I'm, I'm really excited. Should we introduce ours? Your name yes. is Amanda Clute. I'm Amanda Clute. I'm the editor-in-chief of Eater. I'm a producer, and my name is Daniel Janine. Every week on this show, we talk about our favorite food stories. We sure do. Important, and maybe some... Funny. Yeah. Anecdotal. Get some experts in here. Oh, have yeah. a good time. Yeah. And then we, then we get out. And we bounce out. Uh, we separate all the stories with the sound of a ding, like this. Side note, Martha doesn't like the ding, but we'll talk about it later. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, This week on the show, we are going to be talking about the latest in food TV. The latest in food TV, uh, some very questionable new plate designs. Uh Uh, What is going on with delivery drivers and tipping? There's a big scandal. Uh, As always, if you love the show, please remember to subscribe to it on whatever platform and rate us five stars. Give us a comment. And also, if you live in the New York area, come to our summit on Saturday, July 27th. It is going to be fantastic. We are going to be talking about the future of the restaurant industry. There's going to be all kinds of food and drink, $60 all in. It's going to be amazing. Also at the summit, we are going to give a sneak peek at the new direction Mm. of this podcast. Mm -hmm. It is going to be called, can we say what it's going to be called? Sure. Yeah. It's going to be called Eater's Digest. It's going to be a little different from what you've been hearing, but not you ha- that you know, not, not, not in a scary way, yeah, not, not too different. different. So stay tuned for the first episode on August 9th in this feed. Hope to see you there. Let's get into it. Daniel, hey there was a big story this week about DoorDash, one of those delivery companies, stealing tips from their workers. This they- is not new news, but I think it became a conversational piece again because the New York Times did this big interactive piece where a writer went around as a delivery person for a day to talk about what it's like. I think he did. I think he did 32 hours as a delivery person. Yeah, and he did all the different um, services. I think it's an interesting piece if you haven't read it. Um, In order to make a more than, say, $10 or $12 an hour, uh, you have to figure out how each of the individual apps work. Mm-hmm. Uber Eats, Caviar, DoorDash, Postmates. They have all these bonuses that are going if you do a certain amount of deliveries in a certain amount of time, yep. you get $10. So you really, he says that you have to have, you have to both be athletic and have the cognitive quickness of a day trader right. in order to say yes to the right thing, say yes to the right things in order to get, you know, he said there are some ninjas out there who are doing like $20 an hour. Mm-hmm. 
And it is a, a strange combination of physical labor and, I don't know, quickness of mind. It's like, it's a, it's a crazy, scary thing. Right, right, right. DoorDash guarantees that you will make $6.85 an hour. Mm-hmm. If someone tips you $3, then that $3 will be added into your $6.85. Yeah. So you still only make $6.85 and DoorDash itself will only pay you $3.85. Yeah. Uh, people were really mad about it. DoorDash's CEO was outspoken when the policy uh, first came to light, claiming that it, it helped balance the wages for all of the drivers mm-hmm. or, the, or all the delivery people. He was claiming that it was actually uh, a policy generated out of, of fairness. Right, uh, right, right. But it's crazy. I mean, a dumb thing that one of these companies can do, especially because they're all none of them are profitable yet, mm-hmm. is steal tips. Like, right. People have kind of come to terms with the fact that this gig economy is completely evil and is, you know, it creates all these jobs for people and then it gets them hooked on these jobs, they don't learn any new skills, and then they just lower the wages. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, they're just like breaking even hour to hour, and they don't have anything else to do. Like that is pure evil. But people have kind of started to accept that, you know, people like yeah. there's some things you can do tip tip in cash, so that the, the companies can't take anything out. But but now if, if once people heard that they were actually digging into their their tips, that was a, a new huge battlefront in which to attack these these companies. Right. And even though it's been out there before, I think this just like really brought it to a new audience yeah. and a new level of outrage. I think what was more disturbing to me was this line in here where he says, Postmates says its couriers in New York City average $18.50 an hour. But it counts only the time when a courier is out on an order as part of the hour. So all the time between when you're just waiting for an order to come in don't count. No. So really, you could have a 12 hour day, but you're only actually making money for like this certain part of it. And you don't. Yeah. It's not like, like you know that when it's going to be happening and when it's not going to be yeah. happening and you yeah. can go do something. Well, this is the biggest problem with the whole thing is that you're never a Postmates employee. Right. You're a Postmates employee once you accept that order. For that hour, you're considered a Postmates employee. Right. And for that hour, you make your $18 and right. then like whatever, you have to go do something else. What was interesting, and I don't mean to say this in defense of these companies at all, but what was interesting in this piece, and I guess it is kind of general knowledge about these companies right now, is that when they started, some people were making, I think it was written in there that some people were making uh, up to $2,000 a week Mm -hmm. because there were so many jobs and the bonuses were so high. And again, not to to justify it at all, but there's just been so much interest in these jobs because of the way the economy is and because of how easy it is to pick it, pick them up right. and just start doing them, that the huge influx of, of, of riders, of bikers and delivery people has made it easy for the company to squeeze them. Right. Does it change your uh, view on using these companies? I will say one thing that I often get flack for, especially in the office, when there's like a thunderstorm or it's a terrible day outside. Oh, you order. And I'm and people are like, are you ordering caviar? Are you ordering Uber Eats? You're an awful person. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm generous with tipping and I tip in cash. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think there are people who want those jobs. I don't, I don't think not using them on harsh weather days or not using them at all benefiting the people that are working for them right now mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm not sure I mean I'm super confused about it because they are there's a reason the services are so successful and that is it's it's a service that a lot of people want I want yeah, my it, midtown lunch in downtown it makes people addicted to this unrealistic thing that's inflated by venture capital yeah you know like we oh we're you, part of the 
problem yeah, like too. Yeah. People getting the delivery are part of the problem. People using all these services are part of the problem mm-hmm. because it's this cheap thing that it feels like magic. Like, oh, I can just like get the sandwich delivered to me for like twelve dollars right. total. And it's like it shouldn't be that cheap. Well, even when you think about the fact that the sandwich is eight dollars, mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to pay someone even if it is four dollars for their twenty minute commute. Right. All these venture back companies where the you know the the profits aren't real. The money isn't real. Right. And so they built up this thing that becomes a necessary part of your life. So then they do have a business. Yeah. But it was kind of like a fakery to get it there. Fake it till you make it. I mean, it's very inspiring. <laughs> but hey, uh, don't mean to put you on the spot, Amanda Clute. But um, you know, you do run a large uh, food media company covering these businesses. Mm-hmm. Do you not have a political opinion about them? Do you not think that like if it if it was up to you, would we all stop using them? If it were up to me, yes. So just stop. Yeah. F- full stop. Yeah, I think so. So why don't why don't why don't you be more outspoken about that? I should do it. I haven't thought about it enough. Maybe I'll write an op-ed. Like just stop. Maybe I should stop. I, I don't really use them that much. I do. But whenever I write, I an use ar- Seamless yeah. like once a month. But Seamless and Grubhub are different because with them. They're just giving restaurants an opportunity to deliver their own. Yeah, no, food. no. I, I, they, they shouldn't really be lumped in in the same way. They've done their own shady shit, though. They've done their you own know? shady shit. It's, but it's, it's less about. They're not squeezing drivers. No, it's, it's a different kind of model. Right. And they, they have built up a different kind of business. What happens to all these people who are relying on it right now as a source of income? If we did actually organize some kind of boycott, right, 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 There's like would huge there be of all of the work. gig economy workers? What do they do when we take the system away? I feel like there's a I question mean, that people ask all the time. I yeah, and I'm sure a smarter person can answer that, but I would say like I'm, there should be jobs for them. It would have to come like, in I'm, conjunction I'm, with another political movement. Yeah, but also, I mean, it's not like we have high unemployment right now. Like maybe that's a simplified look at it, but there should be something for these people. One of the reasons we don't have high employment, right, unemployment right now is because of all these gig economy jobs, which are technically counted as, as towards the employment percentage. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I'm, it's, 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 it's a topic that I don't think is going to go away for a long time. Um, as long as there is technology that is very good and very efficient at moving people around and, mm-hmm. and having people be in an exact place at a certain time and use physical labor, but use that so efficiently that you can have someone who's just walking around do 20 jobs in an hour. Mm-hmm. Technology is going to keep squeezing these people. It's going to keep figuring out how to use them for various tasks. So, I mean, it is something that scares well, the shit I, out of me, to be honest. I think what could happen is, like, you could still have regulation yeah. that could regulate these companies yeah. and have them treat their workers fairly. And then you can still have the convenience. You just have to pay the real price for it. Mm-hmm. Because if they are paying their employees fairly, they're going to raise the price for you. Right. So I feel like that's probably going to be the answer if we can actually get there. But it seems like the government in general is trying to look into a lot of these big tech companies. And I feel like this is going to be part of it as well. Like they're going to focus on Facebook and Amazon, et cetera. But I think this is all part of a similar problem. Cool. Well, um, we should be better at moving this forward. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Thought leadership, Daniel. Next up on the show, we are joined by Jaya Saxena, 
Jaya, welcome to the program. Hey. It's the first time I've said program. 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 <laughs> um, you wrote a piece a couple days ago called These Horrible Portion Control Plates Are a Symptom of a Bigger Problem. But I want to talk about the smaller problem first. Of the horrible plates? Yeah. I love products and I love, <laughs> you know, crate and barrel and all these kinds of things. So tell me what, what happened. What are so these plates? So the plates are supposedly playful ways to manage uh, your portions. Yeah. And so I, the main one uh, that everyone was getting riled up over had three concentric circles, one that said skinny jeans, one that said favorite jeans, and then one that said mom jeans, Ooh. which is supposedly, and then there are other ones where and they the corresponded sm- to, they corresponded to small, the smallest portion or size being skinny jeans and then the largest one being mom jeans. Right. I believe the idea being that, oh, if you want to fit into your skinny jeans, eat the little ones. And then if you want to fit into like baggy mom jeans, eat the big one. I think which it's, doesn't, if, you, if, you, if you It's very this, badly if if, thought yeah. out is like the main part of it. Right. Is that one, these are... These are just styles of jeans you're talking about. And like all, all the other things that they did, there was um there was one where the innermost circle said feed me and the outermost said feed bag. Mm. Uh there was a wine glass where there was a lower line that said on the lips and the upper one said on the hips. Um What does that one mean? <laughs> I th- I think it's I don't know what so, on the lips mean. Yeah. I assume that they mean if you drink too much wine it'll go to your hips. But oh. like it also the the bad design of this is that these plates require you to do so much work to figure out what the <laughs> hell the joke out. is. Also like mom jeans are really popular amongst mom jeans people are of super all sizes. Popular. Yeah, a lot of these plates don't make any sense. And then there are a bunch of ones that um uh, a, a different awful thing. There was a wedding line <laughs> where they had rocks glasses for whiskey, and one of them said, like, the lower one said, having a ball, and then the upper <laughs> one said, ball and chain. <laughs> and one said, I do, and then the upper one said, I did, like, as if you got too drunk gotcha. and got married. And yeah. I'm just like, what? So that's wild. Where did you where did you find out about these? Um, I saw there was a there was another writer who was tweeting about them. Allie Ward, I believe was her name, being mm-hmm. like, this is horrible. They they were initially being carried by Macy's. Um, and I believe her joke was like, can I get Macy's to just like burn all of these? Because yeah. these are terrible. Um, yeah, it sort of brought up this other conversation about portion control and mm-hmm. dieting and how sort of joking about it and doing this outside of a nutritionist guidance can really be be triggering for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so why, so you were seeing some people who are genuinely upset by it? Yeah, um, and I think it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of nutritionists, if, if you are trying to lose weight, there are nutritionists who suggest portion control being plates. like a way to do that. And, and there are plates that you can buy that like show you how much a portion of like chicken or rice or whatever these suggestions really? are. Really? There are. Like but, a Seder plate? Uh, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like a little cafeteria like sectioned Oof. off tray. But even then, it's something where like you might be aware dieting is very fraught mm-hmm. in society. Um, and so – Plates like this could probably exacerbate a lot of disordered eating. You can really panic and think I'm not allowed to eat anything outside of this small little circle. Um, And it's just an unfortunate reminder to people who maybe don't need that in their lives. What uh, what happened to the company? Did they did Macy's pull the plates? Macy's pulled the plates. Macy's responded to the original viral tweet saying that they had miscalculated, um, <laughs> which like I 
don't think they miscalculated. Well, no, in they... fairness, favorite jeans should be like a little bit wider. <laughs> <laughs> the dimensions were wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, we need to go back. Um, the, <laughs> so the, the, the company that makes the place is called Portioned, P-O-U-R. <laughs> Uh, it, again, it's they just must like, have started with the beverages. I think they started with the beverages, yeah. and then it was just like bad, bad puns all around. Yeah. Um, Macy said that they were pulling the plates, but it's like you can still buy them. I'm right. sure they're still available at other stores. It's just that Macy's mm-hmm. caught on that people were mad that they were carrying these and decided not to carry them. Right. But, well, it's amazing to that that Macy's is actually listening to the the online yeah. conversation. Yeah. Amaz- I don't mean it's like amazing, good for them, but I just mean like. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's something that, um, you know, for better or for worse, I think Twitter, like, mm-hmm. you can call out a brand sometimes, and if it gets enough attention and brands think it's going to cut into their bottom line, right. um, they have the ability to act, you know. Macy's wants to make money, and if people are going to be too mad at them to spend money at Macy's, mm-hmm. they're going to do whatever they want, whatever they can to make sure that that doesn't happen. Have you seen any restaurant or product able to talk about dieting or talk about consumption in a way that isn't problematic or isn't unhealthy? I'm not sure. I think it's one of those things where even if you try your, even if you try (laughs) Try your your best, best. even if you try your very best, uh, it is just, there there are so many people with eating disorders or have been encouraged by various points of society to stay skinny at all costs that you know, it gets really it gets really difficult to talk about it in the first place. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of brands are moving away from talking about dieting to talking about, quote unquote, wellness or health. I like uh, like TGI Fridays. They always have a section of the menu that's like the light. Yeah. Light. But it's gone through so many iterations. It was originally like light or fat free. And now it's like healthy, active. Yeah. I want to go back to the ones that they had, the diet delight section on a diner <laughs> menu where it's just like a scoop of cream cheese on top of a bed of lettuce. Oh, yeah, I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and also they do like save the calories, not the flavor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and there, there's so many things like that. And mm-hmm. I mean, I get, you know, again, like it's it's good to have options for people. Um but I think that, yeah, like the whole conversation is just so fraught. And I don't think any one brand or chef or restaurant is going to like mm-hmm. single handedly cure this. Daniel, I was writing a newsletter, uh, as I do usually Friday afternoons, right before my deadline. And I came to you for advice. Can I just tell you something about your newsletter? Yeah. First of all, it's great. Thank you. Uh, everyone should subscribe subscribe to it. Just search Amanda Clute newsletter. Yeah. But one thing you do that's super is annoying to me is like you have more to do than I do, uh-huh. and you are more efficient at doing all those things. Efficiency is is my superpower. So I I get annoyed when we talk about something in a meeting, and then you're like, seven hours later, you're like, hey, make sure to you know, or like, hey, can you pass off that in thing? And it's a thing that I wouldn't even think that you mm-hmm. were concerned about, mm-hmm. and, you, and you make sure to cover all your bases. I do like that you sprint every Friday. You seem to have no idea what you're going to write for your newsletter. And you're just like, hey, anyone have any ideas? Like, literally anyone give me an idea for the, like, (laughs) I have to do this. Yeah. Soon. Maybe you should cut sandwiches in thirds instead of halves. But see. So that, I like that because it is a human moment. Also, I think it makes for more honest uh, newsletter experience. Are you justifying this right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, so I came to you for ideas on Friday because 
I wanted to tackle the idea of being a regular mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. how to be mm-hmm. a better regular at a restaurant. At a restaurant or coffee shop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Reason being, mm-hmm. I moved to this new neighborhood a few months ago, mm-hmm. actually almost a year ago, and I thought because I had maternity leave coming up that I would be a regular at all the places because I'd be able to go all the time. <laughs> Versus now, like when I'm working, like yeah. you don't have time to go to all the all the places, and I always want to try new places. So I thought, okay, four months. I'm just going to pick a few places and go mm. constantly, mm-hmm. and then I'll be in mm-hmm. for the rest of my time living in this neighborhood. Turns out. No dice. What do you mean? Okay. What does it mean to be a regular? Like, what do you get out of it? What is, when do you yeah, achieve it? Yeah, what is being a good When one? they know who you are, when they recognize you, maybe they know your name, maybe mm-hmm. they know what you like, any kind of like recognition so whatsoever. You thought, I've got a good amount of time here. Yeah. I'm going to be able to establish myself in a couple places. Put in my time. And you don't feel like you did. No. You don't get smiles when you walk in. You don't. Not more than the average person is walking <laughs> in. <laughs> so do you think this? So so you came to me. Well, let's let's stay on you. Do you think you're not you're not someone who is good at it? Yes. Because well, I you're, didn't realize got, you're putting in the time. I didn't realize until later that it's not just about time. Mm-hmm. There's an actual strategy to it. Mm-hmm. And I opened the newsletter with my friend JJ because he is known by everyone in the neighborhood. He's just the most friendly guy in the world, and I think that's really it, yeah. because he's super friendly, gets to know everybody. Oh, it's okay. not just that you need, he's I like, love get, that guy. he's like, just don't wear deodorant, or get a funny hat, like have a way for them to remember you, which probably is a way in. Yeah. Like if you have something distinct about you, versus like, I'm just some lady with a baby, getting coffee every day, I mean, that's... and not being friendly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not being mean. Do you not think you're friendly? I'm just not, I don't think, I don't make an effort. That's what I'm learning as I want to become a regular. I need to introduce myself. But you do um, things where you have to be good with sales teams and you have to be good, you know, dealing with uh, sales people and I can turn it on if I know that's what I need to do. But I'm going to these coffee shops and just being like, one coffee, please. Thank you very much. I'm going to go sit and read my book now and not talk to anybody Mm -hmm. and then leave and do the same thing the next day. Uh, yeah, so you want to be a better regular. Anyway, like JJ, you are a regular at a number of places. Yeah. And so are a lot of other people on staff. So I asked everybody and got a lot of good takeaways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can you share with our listeners some of your favorites? Some of my favorite moves? Yeah, what are your moves? I think the thing that I told you right away was, well, first of all, sitting alone is a huge thing. Sitting alone at the bar, mm-hmm. I, it's much easier to interact with someone because, like, you want someone who's going to loiter around where you are and linger when they have nothing to do. Yeah, a server is never just going to hang no. beside your table. That's why the bar is. That's full stop. If you can't sit at a bar, if you're, then you're never. It's never going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, second of all, I don't desire to be a regular. It just just falls on me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just stop. Let me just put a it's little It's just your burden. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think also I have like a very, it's not an on or off thing. Like sometimes I'm just like, I want to find someone to talk to. And then sometimes I don't, but when I do, oh boy, look out. Right, um, right. Like it's your, your authentic self <laughs> is just chatting with people all the time. <laughs> Listening. And I like mine, to hear. I just yeah. want to like get my coffee and sit down and be alone. Right. I just want them to be like, hey, Amanda. Right. How's your day going? And I, then like move on. Let's let's go and with. And that's why I'll never get it. No, but you like people, and you're curious sometimes. I think you I, just I need do. to. Yeah, coffee shops are a lot harder. Coffee shops are harder. Let's talk about. Okay, so I'll give you an example. There's a restaurant near my apartment called Atla that mm-hmm. I go to way too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great, but I'm just there way too much, and it's kind of expensive, very expensive. Yeah. 
building regular status there, I would just go and I managed to hit like when this certain bartender was there, I managed to always be there when he was there, mm -hmm. just the way it worked out. So uh, if I were to recreate that, I yeah. would make sure to pick someone because the problem with, with a lot of New York restaurants where you have tons of staff, you may go all the time, but you need someone to recognize you. You right. need someone to, to know that you're the person who's there. Like even now when I go for brunch, I'm like, Jesus, I'm starting new. You know, no one knows who I am. <laughs> Do you not scratch. know what kind of stature I have at nighttime I've here? I've so many hours at this place. For real. Well, that's a tip that a lot of people gave me that I had never thought of before, yeah. which is like home in on a person, mm -hmm. figure out when their schedule is. Yeah. Like it's almost stalkery, but it's actually going to work out for you. Mm -hmm. And just go when they're there, get to know them, and then it grows from there. Another thing I told you is this only works if you will actually do it. But when mm -hmm. you are negotiating your order with the bartender, you can say, I want three things and a drink, and I, I genuinely would like for you to pick them for me. But if you do this and then you change up and then you say, oh, I was actually hoping for this thing, whatever, mm -hmm. don't do it. If you're going to do that, then this is the weirdest you actually tip. have to lock it in. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a weird tip. It's a great tip. It's a very specific weird tip. Because then they will try, then they're like, oh, this person trusts my opinion mm -hmm. and taste. And and often you're going to get, like, I would rather get the things that they think are the best than right. whatever my eye is drawn to. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a good one. And then they're a little bit more invested in how you feel about the thing. That's going to be, you're just looking for points of banter. And when you're sitting alone at the bar or counter... Yeah. No, no phones, right? Someone said, like, don't look at your phone. I mean, what are you going to do then? You have to look at your phone a little okay. bit. Other, let me think. What else? I, I don't I even know. I, maybe just order the same thing a lot so you can become like well, the chicken soup guy. Also, on the reservations front, if you are going to be sitting at a table yeah. and with somebody else, make reservations all the time so they can track you and know you're coming in. So, like, letting the you know resi service do part of the work for them. Mm -hmm. Make a reservation on the way out. So maybe go once and be like, oh, I'm really excited to come back here. This was so great. Mm -hmm. Let me make a reservation so they remember you. And it shows that you're committed. Another um, little trick, see if you can acquire a business card of someone, whether it's your bartender mm -hmm. or manager. And just say, like, just as if you're writing a review, just be like, hey, I had this person serve me very, like, tonight. They were really lovely. And I ate this and everything was great. I just wanted to say thank you. Good chance they will respond and say, Really appreciate you letting me know. Let me next. Let me know next time you want to come in. Cool, love that. Yeah, listeners, if you have tips <laughs> on how to be a regular, Being a regular, or if you like me have also been frustrated by your lack of ability to get to this regular status and and want to get there, mm -hmm. email us upsell at ear dot com. Oh yeah. As we do sometimes on this show, we are bringing in our pop culture editor and expert, Greg Morabito. Welcome to the show, Greg. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Dan. How are you guys doing? Great. I have a few burning questions, a few shows I really want to talk to you about. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. I want to start. I know this might sound passe, but I want to talk about Stranger Things. There's one very prominent food tie-in. It involves Coca-Cola and new coke. Oh yeah. Can you talk about mm -hmm. new new coke and stranger things and we are, we are not going to give anything away for those of you who have not watched it yet. This is not a spoiler. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that a big part of stranger things especially this season has to do with nostalgia, but you know, as Netflix has explained in so many ways, the target audience for stranger things is like teenagers um, and it's set in the 80s. So any sort of nostalgic stuff that's in the show, and there's a ton of references to 80s pop culture and things like that, um, you know, are references to things that 
came out and existed like before the target audience was even sort of born or had any sort of understanding of the world. And um, one of the things that they mention um, very prominently in one scene is New Coke, which was this product that came out in the mid-80s as the new formula for Coca-Cola that was pretty much universally reviled and it kind of became this joke and sort of a shorthand for like, what is a failed product, a product that nobody likes? It's New Coke. Well, I don't know if that many, you know, Gen Z viewers or even younger millennials will kind of know what that is, but they put it in the show uh, and one character is really, you know, really likes it and sort of defends it in one scene. And, you know, part of that reason is that there's a partnership between Netflix and Coca-Cola and they actually brought back New Coke in sort of a limited stock to tie in with the release of Stranger Things. But the the scene where the character does defend New Coke, it does feel a little bit out of place. I don't know. What did, what, what, what did you think, Amanda? Did you see I, it? I, well, yeah, and I knew this was happening because I had read the coverage leading up to it, that New Coke, there's going to be this product placement, which I thought, first of all, was already weird. But the fact that there was a whole dialogue about it where they stop yeah. the action of the show and talk about the Coke and whether it's good or not right. or whatever. It's like, that's crazy. It was it's so strange, especially because I feel like they're trying to like rewrite the history of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because if the joke was just that like, oh, what is this stuff? It's disgusting. I don't want to drink it. Like that would be, that would be, you know, culturally appropriate. That would make sense because that was the world's reaction to this new product. Everyone hated it, you know, but instead... They're trying to make it seem like, no, Coca-Cola is an awesome brand that was in the 80s. And they had this thing that was really cool, that's so cool in the 80s that the cool kids, your favorite stars of Stranger <laughs> Things, like one of them's really into it, you know? So yeah. I don't know. There's that's insane to me. A lot of marketing muscle going Yeah, on. yeah I, it's also, strange. it's funny because I feel like the trend has been the opposite for so long. Like if you watch 90s movies, you'll see so much product placement. Like if you watch... Yeah. A movie, any any movie, you'll just see like a Dunkin' Donuts box. Like I haven't seen that kind of thing in so long, and now just to see these cokes everywhere, and it's <laughs> yeah. a modern brand that's paying them money to do it. It's not like them putting Orange Julius in the mall to make it seem authentic. This is like actually a partnership where Coke is paying them. It's just a little right. Well, it's curious. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually kind of learned a lot about this this sort of deal. So there's a number of brands, both food and non-food brands, that appear in. Uh, Stranger Things season three. And a lot of these were sort of just handshake, like, yes, we would love to have your brand in our, our show and, and we'd love to work with you here. And, you know, we're not going to exchange money, but we will make money off of the sale of any mm-hmm. um, co-branded products. Mm-hmm. I think that was like one of the deals with Coca-Cola. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. But also <laughs> right. like they did have to, they did have to make these deals to help fund the show because it's like you know every episode is like a uh, an hour long special effects palooza and it's ten hours long you know mm-hmm. so you know they they had they had to make these partnerships with brands and many of like Burger King's in it, um, Ego is in it, Slurpees or Big Gulps are in it so they had they had to make these deals to like be able to produce the most expensive TV show ever you know mm-hmm. oh yeah there's also um, an ice cream shop there's an ice cream shop in the and, show. They have a partnership with um, Baskin Robbins as, huh. as part of this uh, deal. So Man. it's kind of a brand of Palooza, I'd say. So do you think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this? I think that there's always been product placement and Netflix in particular. They're being a little bit more conservative with how they spend money these days. So I wouldn't be surprised to see 
um, more stuff like that popping up in some of their like marquee shows. I have another show I want to ask you about. It's called Taco Chronicles. I'm a huge fan. Uh, can yeah, you explain great, right? what it is and why it's so awesome? Yeah, it's uh, this unusual arrival, I'd say, from Netflix because it's from Netflix Latin America. It's their Latin American division. And it's basically like Chef's Table or the spin-off of Chef's Table, Street Food. But every episode is about a different style of tacos. And it's uh, entirely a Spanish language series, although there are a few scenes that are in L.A., but mostly it explores regional taco styles. Um, it's like very beautifully shot. There are a lot of and there's some like food experts and, and writers and stuff that are talking heads. But mostly it's just showing these taqueros, sometimes at very famous taquerias, sometimes just in home kitchens, sort of plying their trade. And um, it, it's just fun and gorgeous and cool but there is like one element that sets it apart i think from the rest of the culinary documentary series pack which is that um, and it took me a while to figure out that this is actually what was happening but there's a slight element of magic realism to it because the tacos narrate each episode mm-hmm. <laughs> i love that and so, it's a different narrator for each one and it's a different narrator for each one and so in the first one i think it's like al pastor you know but it's like I am salty. Uh, I go great with a little bit of pineapple. Like, and everyone in Mexico loves me. And it, it took me a while to be like, what? Who's saying? Right. Oh, yeah. The, the taco. <laughs> so it's totally kooky. And I love it. It, it, it. It's not overbearing and it's not too distracting. It's just this little ripple that runs through the show that, that makes it uh, different, I think, from cool. a lot of shows that are similar to it. I, I would love to see more of these culinary docuseries from other Netflix markets that are not made in America or, you know, Europe because they translate so well, they're universal. And it's just like very cool to specifically look at one dish for an entire series. Well, Greg, thank you so much for catching us up on all the uh, important food TV out there. And for watching all of it. Oh, yeah. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'll catch you guys later. Thanks, Greg. Amanda, last week at at the very end of the show, after the end credits, I think, you were like, hey, if anyone has any funny stories about uh, weird things that diners tell you often, email us. And uh, we got a, a funny email from a guy named Guy Ravid or Guy Ravid. Either way, great name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this man owns a barbecue restaurant in California called Smokeyard. And he says that he there's an interesting phenomenon there where guests feel the need to tell him how they do their barbecue at home. Uh, he says, imagine ordering a filet at a steakhouse and then asking to talk to the chef or manager so you can say, well, the way I do it is, I've obviously smoked hundreds of briskets or hundreds of blah, 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 lots. He's cooked a lot of food. Yet everyone <laughs> with a backyard barbecue contraption <laughs> feels the need to tell me the way they do it. Anyway, thanks for the great show. In the South, I would not be surprised for this to be happening because people, you know, are more passionate about it there. Wow. Don't you think? Well, with barbecue specifically. Yeah. Sure. So I think there's two ways of looking at this. One, there are people who really think there's like a camp of people who are like, I really know how to make barbecue. Mm -hmm. Here's how like when I do it, I hold my temperature, my low smoke at 212 or whatever. Uh And then there's probably other people who are like, I'm an amateur. Uh, Here's how I tried it the other day. I used like ginger ale and it was delicious. Well, I think barbecue is just something that people love to obsess over and talk about. And they think it's like part of the allure of it. So they don't think they're hurting his feelings. They think like, let's 
Let's all think, share. I think some people think they probably do it better. Right, right, right. Most people, it is very easy to explain to someone else how you do your barbecue because there are, mm-hmm. everything is incredibly scientific, but you can say there are like four steps. Yeah, you What's can, your marinade? You can geek what out temps? over it. How long? Right. Versus like searing a steak. How long are you going to talk about that? You know, like, how? Right. what's there, that, like a one-minute uh, conversation? But you could talk about barbecue for hours. I think that this is a greater phenomenon, though, because I know that I have an impulse whenever I go to a restaurant, I you know, to, to be like, have you thought about doing this? Really? Well, if I'm friends with someone who mm-hmm. owns a restaurant or is a chef. I would never. I would never. I would never. I would never. How but dare you? So I stopped doing that. I once... To a chef who had a Taiwanese restaurant, uh-huh. I once asked, you know, are you going to do bubble tea? Or like, you should do bubble tea or whatever. Uh-huh. And then I was just, five minutes later, I was just like, bubble tea was invented in Taiwan. It is huge. And like, this guy fucking knows. <laughs> he doesn't He's, need you to tell him. He doesn't need me to suggest mm-hmm. the most famous thing coming out of a country. Right, right, right. But I will say that talking to chefs sometimes when people have recommendations, people are, are generally like you. They are mm-hmm. so, they would just, they would never. They would never. They would never impose mm-hmm. on someone with yeah. their, you know, limited knowledge of the kitchen, whatever. But like, people are pumped to get those suggestions. I think. There's a middle ground. There's a middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. Have, and a lot of times people ask for feedback and really do want to know, especially when a restaurant is new. Not enough people are critical. And not enough people are critical. I almost think this should be a separate segment because like, this is actually a really interesting thing to talk about. What is the appropriate way of giving criticism to mm-hmm. chefs at a restaurant, especially from people like you, right. maybe occasionally me, who they're super interested in hearing from, right? Like you're right. not a critic, but you are a, ugh, a tastemaker. Hello. <laughs> 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 yeah. But like if I'm opening a restaurant and you're there, I want to know everything you think about a restaurant. I would love for you to fill out like a scorecard. I, right. Like and, give me an really intensive survey and I'm sure you're someone to be very honest who is not totally like if you eat something that you mm-hmm. don't love unless it's someone I feel like you know well you would never be like yeah this didn't really work for me for these reasons. yeah unless they're asking me very specifically right like really honest feedback about this dish what did you think we've been testing it out right and then I would say but otherwise if they're like how was it I'd be like everything was great thanks so mm-hmm. much excited for your restaurant opening it's a thing that I do when I like a place yeah. if I think I mean this is so terrible of me but if I think a place is just shot I'll be like mm-hmm. everything was great but if I think if I've had you know five or six things and two of them were cool ideas but for me they didn't work for whatever mm-hmm. I'll just go and tell them. I'll right. be like, this didn't work because of this for me. I loved everything. I think what you're doing is brilliant. And I've, I've, people have been really appreciative and I've been banned from way. very few restaurants. <laughs> I think that's a good way of going about it. Yeah. If you have an opinion on this, mm-hmm. email us. If upsell, you want us to come in and rate eater. your restaurant. <laughs> you want us to fill out a very intensive survey about what you're doing, we will right. do it for you. Thank you so much for listening to the Eater Upsell. If you uh, liked the episode, make sure to subscribe to the show. Rate us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. And uh, check in next week for something else that is new and fun. Uh, Amanda, any closing words? You are... you. Are, we should. You're a tiny bit hungover, and you are mad <laughs> at that hangover because it's just a two-drink hangover, which I understand. It's a four-drink hangover. You said it was two. No, four. I had two at one place and then two at another place. That's a fair. You it's can, okay. I just. I'm just. It's. It's a little surprising to me. I, four drinks you know is what? enough to be hungover. One drink, I won't be hangover, hungover, but between two and five, my hangover is the same. 
Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard this theory from you before. Either, <laughs> I thought you were going to say one, from an expert. Either <laughs> one or six. Yeah. So uh, One I, or six Dan. One or six Dan. <laughs> Are you going to booze at the summit? Which is tomorrow. I'm, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be chill at the summit. I'm gonna booze after the summit. Ooh, you're gonna have a bunch after. You're gonna oh, have yeah. a night. Oh yeah. Because you're gonna let loose. Yeah. If anyone wants me to buy them dinner tomorrow night, is the night to ask me. Wow. Unless you're listening to this on Sunday, and then it was too late. You yeah. missed it. Thank you so much for listening to the Eater Upsell. The Eater Upsell is hosted by me, Amanda Clute, and Daniel Janine. We have a producer. Her name is Martha Daniel. She is fantastic. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.